Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is March the 6th, 2020. Strong hand, golden age of the 2020s. Having hype? Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. In motion, offended by selling. Conviction, be a unique beast. Oh yeah, we've got three unique beasts here today. Juan Galt is in the house. I was just hanging out with him in Vegas. Ken Bozak is here, but he has got a real strong hand. I admire this man. And we've got Chris Black making his long-anticipated return to the show. Oh my, things are going to get wacky when Chris Black is here. He is awesome. He stands for a lot, and he's he's not scared of anything. But before we get into all the controversy, before you pound that like button, let's talk about the big news of the week, okay? And there's just some disease out there of some sort that people are panicking over. And what does it mean for the cryptocurrency space? What does it mean for Bitcoin? Is 2020 just messed up now for all markets all over the world not just bitcoin but uh, i mean is everyone just gonna lock themselves in their houses or work are we entering a golden age where workforces will all work for home and become more efficient and spend online and buy a lot of bitcoin i like to look at the positive things have things changed in your own lives people oh we want to hear it or is it just a bunch of cryptocurrency guys on Twitter giving medical advice? Is that, is that just what this all is? So, Juan, tell us about this woo flu and what do you think is going on in terms of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and the, the expectations of this year? Will there be a having hype? What's going on, Juan? I mean, I think I think the, the woo flu actually might be bad for Bitcoin's fundamentals in some sense because – the worse that it gets, the more people are going to want to actually just buy canned food and uh, and guns, you know, like 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 I'm, I'm very bullish on canned food right now, especially the worst that the woo gets. And Bitcoin is, is good, but it's not necessarily going to save you in this in this environment yet. It's not gold yet. It's not silver yet. It's not it's not currency yet. It might be good. Uh, I don't know what impact it would have on. I mean, if international commerce dries up because because China's on lockdown, that's also not necessarily good for Bitcoin. Um, if people, I mean, I think I don't think it's gonna. I don't think the commerce is gonna dry up. There's definitely like China. The lockdown on China is a big deal, um, and the other countries are getting kind of quarantined as well. But the overall markets are still moving and things are still going around um so that's kind of my first take on that but um I, and my, my suspicion is that that's going to affect any kind of front running of the of the of the happening that's going to happen so i don't really expect price action like like price to start going up steadily until the actual happening happens and the supply actually halves you know um but um yeah all right do you do you before we move on to Chris here, I just want to ask you: Do you think this thing is serious? Do you, do you think uh, mm-hmm. you think people, a lot of people, are going to die? Or, <laughs> or well, I mean, are are you worried a lot as of a healthy young man? 
you're, you're a healthy young, you're a, you're, I mean, I saw you in person. You handed me this thing here. It's uh boulevard. So, I mean, right. do you think there's um, going to be? Well, I think, um, so from what I've seen, uh, it is very contagious. I think everybody's going to get it. I, I think that's inevitable. Everybody's going to get this thing. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's reasonably deadly, but it's not necessarily that much more deadly than the flu or the common cold. Um, I, it's clear that it affects children and old people the most. It affects people that have certain conditions the most. Uh, the, the, the healthier you are, the better off you are. You just got to take care of yourself. Do some, take, you know, take care of your, uh, your immune system um, and um, basically shelter the storm. Um, because I think everybody's gonna get it. You just gotta. We just gotta play it. Play it safe for the next few months. All right, dudes. Everybody, do some exercise and pound that like button. Chris, look, look at Juan is getting sick there. Uh-oh. Uh oh. <laughs> Chris, what's what's your take on the economic uh, impact? And uh, I was gonna say, uh, it sounds like uh, Juan sounds like Trump and what Trump was saying. I was wondering if there's MAGA under that. Black sticker on your head. It's just a flu, man. <laughs> um, flu, okay. I'm I think, uh, Sorry. It, like, we don't know what's going to happen with we're, – we're not doctors, right? But, like, what's happening with the economy is interesting. Yeah. Uh, with the Fed rate cut yesterday, yes. half a percent, which is significant when you think about how low we already are. And the impact that's having on regular people is, um, you know – like I, I just did a video on my YouTube channel, uh, released it today, looking at the actual interest rate that people are earning in their savings accounts right now. So the highest savings account interest rate you can get in the U.S. right now is around 1.7 percent, and that's that's going to start dropping in the next week to about 1.2 because of the rate cut yesterday. Inflation is two percent. Right. So when you look at the interest you're earning minus inflation, you're negative. So anybody who's got money in their savings accounts is now at a negative interest rate. So will people start to look to crypto and specifically to stable coins? Yes. Um, to perhaps um, preserve their wealth more. They're still going to be subject to inflation with a stable coin, but they won't be subject to negative interest rates. And if they use something like DAI, they can earn 8%. Right, and then eight percent minus that two percent inflation leaves you with six percent real interest rate. So my question is, how much is that going to happen over the next? It's not going to happen tomorrow, but could it happen over the next one, two, three years if we continue to see rate cuts and go down into negative territory, not just with real interest rates, but with actual Fed interest rates? So that's my take on economic. I, I like how you're slowly tying in DeFi to this. This is good. You're, we're getting ready for the. Uh, we're getting ready for uh, the, the big uh, talk about that in a second. I do want to say you, 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 you logically explain why it's uh, not, not fun to have uh, negative interest rates and, and deal with fiat. Ah, but I mean, that's, <laughs> I don't know if people are going to learn their lesson this, this time around. I don't know. I, I, I hope that pe that even if like 2% of Americans understand what you just said and come into cryptocurrency that would be great but i don't even know yes it's, it's not complicated once you understand inflation right because people see interest trickling into their savings account you know and you get a few bucks a month and you see your balance going up and it's like oh i must be making money i'm coming out net positive but what they don't realize is two percent inflation completely obliterates that return because the same two thousand dollars you have this year will buy less 
next year in terms of groceries, in terms of your car, in terms of whatever. And if they're going to start cutting rates even more because of the Wu flu, um, which they're predicting perhaps another 0.5% rate cut, which would take us down even farther into, into actual, into real negative returns when you look at inflation. And soon we're going to be like Europe, you know, where in the U.S. at least, where we have actual negative interest rates for money you hold in the bank. They want to incentivize spending. The only escape from that is to get out of fiat and into either um, equities trading or some sort of, you know, traditional investment or into crypto. And if you want to, you know, be volatile and you want to go into, you know, one of the uh, cryptos that are volatile, go for it. Or if you want to preserve your dollar, then use a stable coin. Value your wealth in Bitcoin, Adam Meister says. Zerp is coming. Well, we were already there once, but a negative NERP is going to follow in the United States. Uh, we will see it. And yes, I don't, I care, but I'm I'm prepared for NERP. I, I value my wealth in Bitcoin. All right, Ken, what's your take on the uh, the sickness and the economy, et cetera, et cetera? I'm vibing with Chris, man. Uh, I, I think to add on what he was saying too is it's, it's a convenient distraction from a lot of things happening in the world at the time. Like, and they're going to use it to get away with a lot of things like this, uh, this uh, interest cut and everything. Like they're go- they're, we're going to see more and more things uh, that would be louder on the mainstream media. If the Wu flu wasn't there to kind of suffocate that information off of the airways. Uh, I think, uh, the, you know, hashtag, you know, freedom for Hong Kong was, probably one of the biggest victims of the Wu flu, you know, that, that passed away was that, that, that meaning, that moment, that movement that was happening in China uh, really is what suffered the most. Uh, and yeah, I, and Chris, I think you're right with these stable coins, man. I think uh, people are looking at the solutions that Celsius is offering and what stable coins can provide the hedge against, you know, the uh, fiat and the banking industry. And, uh, right now, I think we're actually in a potential, and I talked about this on my podcast last week with my friends, is we might see the first cash cash drought in my lifetime because of this Wu flu. Uh, you know, they're disinfecting physical cash, taking physical money out of circulation. Uh, this is way bigger in China than it is here in the U.S., but uh, we're probably going to see an incentive to use cash in environments where there is a drought of it. So you might actually get more for your dollar than your stable coin because the store may actually want your dollar so much they'll give you a, 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 a kickback or a reward for not using a debit card or cryptocurrency, but for using paper money because they need it in the till. So uh, I think that's interesting thought to have. Like I never thought I would have saw a cash drought in my lifetime to see like paper money limited in supply and actually have more value than something, you know, like because it's scarce now. Well, the good Zimbabwe had something like that. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Now, let's, uh, I want to, there's a question for me, but I want to ask Ken this question. But first of all, a crypto mania sent uh, 20, I think they're Czech Republic coin. Thank you, dude. He says, happy Friday. Thank you. Now, Reber73 says to me, but I'm, I'm asking this to Ken because he travels around too. Are you going to slow down with the travel? A sick Meister or a sick Ken won't help the crypto space. Uh, bro, I, as soon as I got home from NFT NYC, I've been sick since. 
And I think that was like two weeks ago. Like I've had this cold. I haven't been able to shake for days now. Uh, yeah, I, I think I will be cutting back. And uh, I was actually just talking with my brother about this yesterday. You know, my brother was like, this whole woo flu thing's blown way out of proportion. I'm like, no. <laughs> Remember West Nile, H1N1, bird flu, all these things that, you know, popped up that were supposed to kill like 50% of the world population, like the Thanos snap, you know, like this woo flu's. They're telling you on the news the opposite of everything they told you about West Nile, bird flu, swine flu, all these things. Like, you know, Zika. Zika was supposed to kill everybody. But who died? I, I mean, eh, who got And That's what I'm saying. This one, they're saying, don't worry about it. It's fine. All the other ones, they were telling you to worry when you had nothing to worry about. Now that they're telling me not to worry, I'm worrying. <laughs> Well, uh, so travel, you're coming back on the travel. Now yeah, I'm going to answer, yeah. I'm going to answer the question here from my, my side. Now, first of all, two, if you guys check out the links below, follow all these guys <laughs> on Twitter, by the way. But if you check out the links below, I actually discussed this at the end of my Wednesday show, I believe, uh, if my travel schedule, and I was frustrated to hear that in, in the land of Israel, where I'm planning on spending three months that they're basically not letting anyone in from Switzerland. Now, what you're probably saying, well, what does that mean? Well, before I was to go to the land of Israel, I was going to spend 10 days in Switzerland and go straight to Tel Aviv. And that is supposed to happen on April the 30th. So I got an issue here. <laughs> uh, I want to travel as much as I'm not scared at all. Not at all. I am a perfectly healthy young man. I run 20 miles a week. Dude, I am in peak freaking shape. I'm ready to take, I'm not scared of this darn thing at all. I want to travel around the whole world, but it, it, I see some of these countries implementing restrictions with travel and that's why I've, and that cuts down on economic activity so much. And that's why I am curious to see if these countries are not going to be strict uh, like Israel or, or if they're all going to take this uh, stance. If all the countries start banning people from all the countries that had Wu flu once, then no one's going anywhere. People are just going to travel around their own countries, and that's bad for the economy. I, I'm trying to think of ways that's good for Bitcoin, but Ken talked about news stories that have been overtaken by this Wu flu thing, and obviously one of them was the Hong Kong thing. But another thing, I was expecting a lot of having hype stories to come out. Well, the, the media probably won't be talking about the halving as much as they were, well, as I thought they would, if this thing is still going on uh, at hyperspeed panic uh, in the beginning of, uh, or in the middle of April, or the beginning of, let's see how things are at the beginning of April. It's springtime. Things should get better. I am an optimist, but dude, I am very willing to travel anywhere. I wish there was, a, I said this on Wednesday's show, I think there should be a country that just says, we don't care, we'll take in anyone. If you want to have an event here, have an event here. We're the anti-Wu-Flu country. We're the, <laughs> we're the alpha male country. We will do it all. We're not scared. And uh, so if you're that country, I will uh, I will come to your country. I will do events there. I, will I don't know if that's country. how it works, Meister. I don't know if that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, that, that, I just went on my Wednesday rant there. But that was a question. So I mean, this is all over the news. But guys, calm down. Be healthy. Just be, be, be healthy. Stay in the sun. Um, and exercise, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. You know, so dude, it's funny because it sounds like the, uh, the woo flu is like Trump's, uh, proverbial wall, you know, it's shutting down, you know, traveling immigration. It's like that non-tangible wall. He always wants it.
Uh, it could be. It, for some countries, it definitely is becoming a wall. It, it definitely is. And I'm going to have to figure out if I'm going to have to cancel a trip to Switzerland in order to get God, into Israel. All right. So, uh, but I, I do... I do want to, I don't want my travel schedule to be uh, cut down. I have no plans to cut it down at all to answer the question. Okay. So let us, we've got Chris here and Chris is a dude I respect a lot because he, he likes the DeFi stuff, but he's willing to speak some DeFi truth. And some people might say it's not the truth, but let, let me read you one of uh, Chris's, uh, quotes here where, where, where okay and, and then okay interfering with natural selection in DeFi will only serve to weaken it allow the weak and vulnerable uh to fall by the wayside watch the strong and resilient rise and dominate well i i like that take i i don't believe in bailouts okay i don't i i i thought that's why people got into cryptocurrency but perhaps i'm i'm incorrect so we're talking about DeFi because you know i know there are a lot of bitcoin fans out there but this DeFi thing is bringing people into the space there are a lot of big moneyed entities that are curious about it um and will they stick with DeFi? will they get into bitcoin who knows what will happen but it is something that affects us all so chris take it away with the DeFi truth <laughs> Well, um, you know, related to the to the tweet that you said there, um, it, we're kind of in an interesting time in in DeFi uh, and in, and with Ethereum in general, I think, because we, like myself, I I came into this whole thing from the Bitcoin point of view. I'm a lifelong libertarian who believes in economic liberty and and wants to use crypto as a tool to to get there, and I saw right away with DeFi that. <clears throat> DeFi is capable of providing the financial services that we're not we haven't seen on Bitcoin yet. And yeah, there's a debate over whether we may see them soon, but we haven't seen them yet, right? So so I started looking at DeFi on Ethereum. What I've come to see now is we're starting to get to a point where um, you sort of have these these two worlds colliding um, between the Ethereum that we've known for a long time, you know, which is the really strong developer community the um you know sort of rainbow and unicorns uh, vibe right and and that's actually too it's you know it's it's a huge i mean there's thousands and thousands and thousands of developers building on that platform and building these financial services that actually work then on the other side you've got this um you know sort of um, crypto um, don't trust but verify mentality you know, and there's these two worlds colliding right now. And so what, what we're seeing is there's situations, as I'm sure you guys have heard about, where there's been money that's either been exploited out of some of these smart contracts or, you know, suspicious transactions. Last week, we had a situation where we saw a transaction where um, a stablecoin swap, where $89,000 went in, but almost half a million came out, right? So the questions start getting asked, you know, how the heck did that happen? What happened? And we have to figure out, you know, talk to the developer and figure out like what happened. How did somebody put in eighty nine thousand dollars and get out half a million? Somebody's got to be paying that cost. So um, the the tweet was really in reference to um, two things. It's reference to code. So if we see weak weak code and weaknesses in protocols, we need to not prop them up, not bail them out, uh, allow them to fall by the wayside, and let the strongest protocols and projects rise up. Because if we want a resilient DeFi ecosystem, we got to let it be resilient. We can't prop up things that are weak. And then it also goes for taking criticism in the space. 
And that's something with the Ethereum community that they are not historically used to. You know, but now that we've reached a billion dollars in locked value, and who knows, in a year from now, it could very well be $10 billion in DeFi, the criticism is going to ramp up, especially when you lose a million dollars here and there, right? So, uh, and it's not going to necessarily come from inside the space. It's going to come from Bitcoiners. It's going to come from government regulators. It's going to come from people who existentially don't want this to happen. So that's the current state of things. With that being said, all this is is creating a more resilient space. Um, and my goal is to create a DeFi that's trustless and that, um, not to create it myself, I'm not a developer, but to see it be created, you know, a trustless, resilient system that people can actually, um, it, it can actually be at the level of the base layer of Ethereum as far as trustlessness. I, I want to point one thing out. You said that uh, the government and Bitcoiners uh, <clears throat> don't want this. Uh, let's, let's drill down a little bit. Not, I, I'm a Bitcoiner and I just, I, I think it's a great experiment. It doesn't affect me at all. I, I, I want it to do well. I think when other projects do well, it's, uh, it's good publicity for the entire, when they do bad, it's bad publicity. And if, if DeFi were to totally fall apart, people would just say Bitcoin fell apart. I mean, that, that, that's, uh, that's the word we're in. So I am, I am of the mentality, you know, don't destroy. There are, I mean, there are plenty of Bitcoiners that just want Ethereum to die, et cetera, which I think is ridiculous. I just, just, just if you don't like it, ignore it. This is where the uh, compete, don't complain. That's what I say. And uh, uh, so I'm, I, that's why I'm curious about this because I, I understand. Um, I, I've been into, you know, I've been in real estate before. I know uh, different, different uh, ways of uh, you know, financial instruments. And so I know people are going to, they're going to get into this uh, Ethereum DeFi thing. So why not have it be, well, you know, try to make it on the up and up like uh, you're, you're trying to put it out there as. Um, so address the centralization aspect of it. They're all central. Mm -hmm. It's it's all, it, every project is centralized to a certain extent. And so the name is decentralized finance. So it's, there's a little irony there. Yeah. So I've, I'm a big advocate for transparency in the space. And just over the past like couple months, we've come a long way. I actually started a project called DeFi Watch. And there's yes. a website, defiwatch.net. It's linked um, to below. Link great. To below. Yeah. So what I did there was I started to outline a lot of the centralization risk that comes with every project. And here's the general idea. Um, most of these projects have the ability with their admin key, they call it, their private key, which they're all in different configurations. But they can make upgrades. They can make changes to these smart contracts. Because you got to think of these things like applications that might have bugs. Right, that might have vulnerabilities. So they retain the right to be able to go in and fix it if something happens because they don't want to lose their 50 million, $100 million in user deposits if a bug is found. And as any software developer knows, there's no such thing as completely bug-free code. It just doesn't exist, right? So that's what's happening in the initial stages. My take on this is, okay, that's okay if you give us a roadmap to how you're going to get to the trustlessness and decentralization that we want. If you can't provide us with that roadmap, if you can't tell us how you're going to get there, and then when we hold your feet to the fire, when you don't do it, if you don't continue down that path, then you don't deserve to be called decentralized finance. And at the end of this whole thing, Ethereum's definitely going to have centralized applications, no doubt, because it's too easy to do. And you know it, it's going to happen. It's going to continue to happen. I want this small corner of Ethereum to be carved out where we actually have decentralized finance 
that is trustless, that's censorship resistant, that's unstoppable. Um, I want that little corner to be carved out for people who actually care about financial liberty, who don't want like some developers to have control over their life savings, right? That's what Ethereum is fully capable of doing that. It's just, I feel like we're gonna have to fight for it over the next couple of years. All right, uh, Guy Bennett sent five bucks and he said, bring DeFi on, compete and don't complain. Anything that brings more people into the Bitcoin overlay is great. I will keep my Bitcoin strong hand. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good attitude. It's, I, 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 I love this innovation stuff. Instead of worrying about the end of the world from some disease, this is the kind of thing mm -hmm. I like to hear. Okay, I think it's a positive uh, and we'll uh, get more people uh, spend well into alternative financial instruments. Uh, before we go, I know Ken's got stuff to say about DeFi. Juan, what's your take on all of this, if you have a take? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I really like Mike Skyser's uh, quote. He said, uh, with that, there's, no capita there's no capitalism without capital. And capital means capital investment. It means, it means people are willing to risk their money to grow the economy and to invest in industry and invest in, in services and entrepreneurship and so on. And in that sense, I think the spirit of DeFi is on point. And I think... Bitcoiners are lagging on on financialization. I think mainly because they're concerned with other issues and because mm -hmm. they're so much more risk averse. They're really trying to make sure this thing is rock solid. Uh, there are some developments there. I can't say that I understand uh, details of DeFi very much, but I understand the fundamentals of Ethereum. And um, you know, I have I have think there's there's questions that I have about DeFi that maybe you can give me a couple of yes or no questions uh, answers on this, Chris. Uh, is there KYC on 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 DeFi? Like, are you are you you know? Do you have to like log in with Coinbase or something like that? Generally speaking, no. None of the um, the proper DeFi apps have KYC or mm -hmm. any kind of identity mm -hmm. involved. You log in typically with a Web three wallet like MetaMask. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever used it before. Yeah, but I have. Yeah. Okay, so it allows you to log in just with that. Got it. My my take on KYC is if there's KYC. You are no longer DeFi. You're you can't even be close to consider DeFi because okay. you kill your censorship resistance. And, and DeFi is giving people loans, is that right? With like uh, and, and charging interest. Yes. Okay. So here's the here's the thing that I'm concerned about, right? Like it's hard enough to give a loan knowing the person um, and make that profitable, right? Like traditionally, the banking sector, the private banking sector evolved out of uh, banks taking the risk, investing in companies um, and looking for a return. Right. And to ge generally, they would invest in the more conservative uh, companies. Right. It's that's that's risky enough knowing your customer. Right. And I understand that KYC is, you know, is is bad for and for terrible for privacy, and and I, I, I'm no advocate of KYC, but that's hard enough. If if you can create, you know, many sock puppets online and 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 forge a complete identity and then get a DeFi loan, then yeah, you're gonna get exploits. I think that's that's gonna be that's gonna be, and, and, and to whatever degree how they mitigate that, I'm not I'm not really sure. Um, a lot of loans have been collateralized over the past, and collateral. It's a, it's a very important way to to hedge trust, you know, like so instead of being fully trusted, you you trust 20, 30 percent and take manage your risk that way. Um, so that's one of my concerns. But I think I think it's great. I think that the spirit of it is great. And I think uh, I think finance and capital 
capital lending and capitalism and, and private banking does have to evolve out of this. Um, to what degree needs to be 100% decentralized? I don't know. I think the you know the the less custody involved, the better. But to some degree, I think this is going to have to merge with society and merge with the legality of things. Um, Let me address some, that, something that you sure. said. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so the loans, and I don't want to do get into it too much here. Sure. Um, I have a YouTube channel, uh, YouTube.com/slash Chris Black, where I have about 50 videos on this topic. Um, so I, I I encourage everybody to check it out, even yeah. if you don't don't plan to use it it's good to learn um every loan on DeFi right now is over collateralized so that's kind of the secret sauce of what's happening right now with the loans on DeFi. every single loan is is uh over collateralized and algorithmically programmatically liquidated if at, at a certain point right so you put in for instance uh two eth you borrow um a hundred die you know, and if your ETH drops too much in value, you get liquidated. And really, in this context, when you're just dealing with with crypto like this, um, the the main use case for it, because that's probably what you're thinking, like, why would anybody want to do that, is uh, to leverage trade, right? Mm. Because you can, with that hundred die, you can buy more ETH, so you can get more ETH mm. exposure and create that for yourself without having to use an exchange. Mm. Down the road, is that going to change? Are we going to have other ways to uh, leverage over collateralized loans down the road? Maybe. I don't mm -hmm. know. Um, there there are no um, under collateralized or no collateral loans yet. People are advertising that they're trying to develop this, mm -hmm. this type of thing. I don't believe it's possible without what you said, without mm -hmm. identity and KYC um, tied to it. And and keep this in mind too. In In traditional life, there's no, there's really no such thing as an under collateralized loan when you consider your reputation as collateral, mm. you know, and if you don't pay your credit card bill, uh, yeah, you're, you don't have to financially pay it if you file bankruptcy, but your reputation gets cut in half, your financial reputation, your credit score, mm. et cetera. So we don't have that concept in DeFi yet, but maybe down the road. I mean, who knows what's going to come in a couple of years. Um, people are also working on decentralized identity. So, um, but right now everything's over collateralized. So that eliminates the risk that the, the vulnerabilities yeah. that are happening are more code based, um, or people taking advantage of these weird economies that have been built um, to sort of front run and to do different things that are um, affecting the algorithms involved. Yeah, yeah, that, that's fair enough. I mean, I get that makes sense. In, in Bitcoin, you know, if you want to get leverage, you you know, we have things like again, they're centralized, but you have Bitmex, right? So just throw some Bitcoin at Bitmex, and then you you leverage you leverage that, right? So it is centralized. I get I get that you guys I guess are building building more decentralized solutions, more complex solutions. Anyway, I mean, I have the general sort of risk-averse concerns that you're going to hear from Bitcoiners, um, but I think generally developing a lending market in this industry is a good thing because being an entrepreneur in Bitcoin and crypto is hard, man. It's really tough. And if you don't have capital, it's even worse, right? Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's all. The other thing is like, and I wish we talked about Steemit earlier because this proof of stake uh, stuff we're starting to see the the downside of it, uh, especially with Steemit, and uh, that's a really fascinating drama. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that and come back to come back. We to will. That. We we are gonna. We, we're you're, you're gonna talk about that one. Yeah. Uh, first of all, pound that like button, people. You're hearing some stuff you don't hear anywhere else. Ken, uh, what you you've been silent here. I'm sure you've got some yep. DeFi uh, stuff to say. Uh, commentary. 
Well, they've been hitting the nail on the damn head, man. Like, uh, again, Chris, uh, I, I actually want to see what you think of this. You know, you said that uh, these DeFi's, you know, these 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 DeFi's are, are uh, decentralized and, and don't have to worry about, like, you know, developer code and stuff like that, right? Uh, they, well, what do you mean? <laughs> they definitely well, have to worry about code. Well, yeah. like, you know, a developer isn't in, like, charge of, like, you know, the, uh, the centralized exchange, like uh, Coinbase or Binance or whatever. But I do worry about, like, the centralization of the blockchain these DeFi's are being built on, like uh, Ethereum. You know, all these DeFi's are being built on a centralized, you know, tech blockchain, Ethereum only. They're not, you know, working on being multi-chain facet or working on other hedges against Ethereum. So if there were a bug in Ethereum, like you mentioned earlier, there is no bug-free code. So the bug that we haven't found yet in Ethereum that will expose the DeFi markets to XYZ issues that will occur haven't been thought out yet. I'm just wondering, like, what other blockchains besides Ethereum do you think are a catalyst to host uh, a, a viable DeFi? Um, okay, let me address a couple of things. So first, the current DeFi um, exchanges and products that that exist, almost all of them are right now, as of today, pretty centralized in the fact that they all have all the core teams that have developed them have retained, like I said before, that admin key that gives them the ability to fix bugs. Okay, but that key also gives them the ability to radically change the code and divert funds. And there's all kinds of things they could potentially do. They can't do it with the existing code, but they can change the code to whatever they want. Mm -hmm. Now, there's mechanisms in place. For instance, a lot of them have a time delay. So they want to increase the trust that you have to have, unfortunately, um, by adding a delay. So if they submitted a code upgrade, um, Compound, for instance, I believe has a three-day delay where anybody can examine that code change on the blockchain uh, before it goes into effect. So there's stuff they're trying to do to mitigate the trust that you need, but they are somewhat centralized. But again, like with Compound, they're, they just announced they're decentralizing their whole platform. They're going to burn that key. Mm. They're going to do a decentralized governance system, kind of like MakerDAO, where um, users hold governance tokens and can vote on issues and code changes and stuff like that. Doesn't that come so, down to some form of trust, though, and them burning that key? Like, we have to trust that they did that. Is there a way it's to all prove that they... Okay. Yeah. How yeah. would we verify that a, a DeFi exchange has burned their admin keys and is truly set to the wilds? All of the code is open source and transparent on the blockchain. So you can read the code. You can see the admin key. You can see the back doors that are coded in. You can see once they eliminate them, you can verify that. Anybody who can read Solidity is able to verify that information and that's all that's completely very few people though right i mean again that's almost like centralized yeah. uh doir right like yeah, there's, there's tens of thousands of ethereum developers well, i'm just um, i mean how many how many people had eyes on the dell and that bug still got through is what i worry about when these defis are in the well, same you're talking about two issues one is can you verify the code the admin key has been pulled and the answer to that is yes if you're talking about a bug or some kind of um you know, most of the, almost all the bugs that are found, there's, first of all, those companies, there's audit companies, all mm -hmm. they do, they're independent auditors of code. Okay. The bugs that they typically find um, are not like um, hidden little back doors as much as they are where different parts of the code interact with each other in unexpected ways. Okay. So they're trying every different combination of what you can do uh, to make sure that, that something bad is not going to happen. Now, um, 
even though they do that, it's not perfect, right? Because people are able to figure out different ways to manipulate the economies. And because all the DeFi protocols can be plugged into one another permissionlessly, um, you can create some really crazy stuff, right? That nobody ever thought of. Like there's a, a new concept called a flash loan that really just came to light over the past few months, even though it's been around a little longer. But the whole idea is there's these lending pools like Compound and Aave and Somebody can write a transaction where they can, with no collateral, borrow any amount of crypto from one of these lending pools. So let's say you want to borrow $100,000. The transaction begins with you borrowing that money. It ends with you repaying it all in one transaction. In between, you can do anything you want. You could, you could run some arbitrage. You can trade here and there. As long as you begin and end with the same amount, you can keep the profit. Okay, so people are coming up wow. with these crazy, and, and the, the craziest part of that is if you if you can't do it all in one transaction, the transaction never happened. So it's like one of those Schrodinger's cat things, right? So it's like it reverts the whole yeah. transaction. Like, and so it's we're seeing some stuff right now that that breaks your head, right? As far as like what's possible. And now we have to see how people are going to abuse it. And this is those flash yeah, so exactly what I'm trying to get into. I want to abuse the hell out right. of this, man. And that, right. That right there got every gear turning in my mind. Man. Yeah. Wow. And those the exploits you heard about over the last few weeks were using this technology. So, um, you know, now we're seeing, okay, we need to bone up the code here and there and here and there. You know, it's like we have to take these things into consideration, but it's like the Wild West, right? So it's like nobody could have even thought about this stuff six months ago because it didn't exist. You know, so, okay, so that addresses that. And then just to um, the Ethereum question, I definitely am not the one to um, stand up and say Ethereum is as decentralized as Bitcoin, okay? It's a spectrum, right? There's centralized, there's decentralized, and there's everything in between. Um, the question is, you know, with all the hacks we've seen, how many of them have involved the base layer? How many of them have involved actual weaknesses with the Ethereum base layer? And that's pretty much been zero because everything that's been hacked has been built on top of it. Okay, so it's been, all been bugs in the code built on top. So the base layer, just because it's been around for so long and has supported so much, um, in my opinion, is trustworthy. Is it as decentralized as Bitcoin? No. Okay, but Bitcoin simply can't support the stuff that we're building there. If this is a programmable Bitcoin, it's going to come with a new set of risks. That's my perspective on it. Um, again, there's like okay. RSK and there's other stuff like that that might surface, um, arguably even more centralized. I don't know, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, it's, if we want to have for Satoshi to come back out of the woodwork and build the decentralized exchange that decentralized currencies deserve, you know what I mean? Like the Bitcoin of decentralized exchanges, not just the Bitcoin of Bitcoin. Yeah, mm -hmm. I hear you. And, and, and one more note on, on that, um, right now, as we speak, and um, probably being released um, in the next few weeks are these bridges between Bitcoin and Ethereum. You know, so we've already had atomic swaps where you can swap Bitcoin over to Ethereum and back and forth atomically without an exchange. That exists already. Um, it's not optimized, but it's you can do it. But now we're starting to see these um, these bridges where you'll be able to send Bitcoin to a Bitcoin address, and suddenly it appears on Ethereum in a tokenized form. Okay, and once it appears on Ethereum, you can do anything in DeFi with it. So you can you can lend, you can borrow, you can um, use the exchanges. There's there's already leverage trading. Um, they're ramping up the frequency on on a lot of the trading um, decentralized exchanges. So this stuff is all happening. So um, 
I hear what you're saying about the ultimate in decentralized blockchains, right? I, I, so Satoshi's uh, blockchain, I get it. But as of today, what we have right now on Ethereum is the best we can possibly get right now. <laughs> it's right. just the best that we. Like, I just feel like no it's other... equivalent to like eGold or one of those things like Bitcoin used to become Bitcoin. I feel like all these DeFi's are just going to become very small pieces in the pie that will be the decentralized exchange of the future. There's a really good chance of that, you know, uh, especially with the new bridges being built. The question is, will Ethereum just become the financial app layer of Bitcoin? Which is a real possibility, you know, but I mean, we just don't know how it's going to go. I am a blockchain agnostic person. I'm not like an Ethereum like advocate. I'm a DeFi advocate. I believe Bitcoin is the decentralized money, but you need decentralized financial services. Otherwise, you're stuck using centralized financial services. I just and want I to question that that there's tens of thousands of Ethereum developers. Um, I'm doing some Google yeah. searches right now. There's no source for that. There's headlines around it, but there's I haven't found the source. Tens of thousands of Ethereum developers. I can tell you, I just went to ETH Denver. Um, it was my first Ethereum-only conference I've ever been to. And there was 2,000 developers there. It blew my mind. You know, if I was walking around this huge space that they had, rainbows here, unicorns mm. there, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like you, there was four floors, full floors of this, like, rec space. Tables, tables, tables. I was like, where did all these people come from? They were all hacking on Ethereum. Um, in that space alone, this week was ETHCC in Paris, where they had even more people, I believe, in a hackathon. Um, there are there's a shit, there's a lot of Ethereum developers out there. Okay, but know? tens of thousands, like maybe maybe twenty thousand, you know? She said, "Well, that that is tens of thousands." So <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, it's you know, <laughs> a smaller portion of a hundred thousand, I guess, right? I didn't say a hundred thousand. Yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, there's a mission to get a million developers eventually, but uh, there's, they're nowhere close to that yet. In DeFi, I can tell you this: in DeFi, just as as far as users go. Um, there's about uh, there's reported about forty or fifty thousand people interacting with the DeFi protocols. Um, I my my best guess is about maybe half of them are developers, <laughs> you know, and the other half are actually people like me who come in to to use it. So, um, but yeah, there's a lot of I, Ethereum developers. People don't realize how big this community is. I think there's also some misconceptions around Bitcoin's capacity to do uh, smart contracts, and I think we're hopefully going to see a lot more of that in the in the near future. But most of God, the focus is happening on the Lightning network and on this sort of software that's coming to Bitcoin. Um, and Lightning is smart contracts. There's a lot of complex uh, stuff. Going Lightning on. is in Bitcoin, though. Yeah, it is. No, it, it isn't. Is. No, no, it is. Is. no, it isn't. Oh, no, it isn't. It's denominated in Bitcoin. It uses Bitcoin as Lightning is a, it's a coupon it's a for Bitcoin that you can redeem for Bitcoin, bro. But Lightning is not Bitcoin. That's why I mean, it's that, a name, Lightning. Otherwise, it would just be called Bitcoin. Come on, it bro. Is gonna be called, it is going to be called Bitcoin. Um, that's interesting that we disagree on this. Like, I don't understand why oh, this I, I strongly disagree on this. Like, you're so looking, strong. you're collateralizing Bitcoin. It's fully collateralized Bitcoin. And if you can't send your Lightning BTC to my BTC wallet, it's not BTC. I'm done with the conversation, bro. I think I don't want to lose a friend over this, but like, it's not Bitcoin. That's interesting oh, because wow, now with the new, the new um, tokenized versions of Bitcoin on Ethereum that I'm talking about. You actually will be, able, you, will, you will be able to do exactly that. You'll yeah, be able you. to send. <laughs> you'll be able to send the Bitcoin um, trustless Bitcoin token directly to a Bitcoin address. Thank There's you. stuff yeah, going on in between. Exchange will flip it for Ethereum or whatever. Just like if you send, 
if you send Bitcoin to Wallet of Satoshi, it'll flip it automatically for Lightning, you know, and you can flip it from Lightning to Bitcoin or you can send Lightning to a Bitcoin wallet through Wallet of Satoshi. So, yeah, you know. Can and you do that programmatically or do you have to... You well, you're trusting, you're trusting, a, you're trusting a, a third party, but you can program that in your own node. And it's the same thing with Ethereum. These bridges are not going to be entirely trustless. It's going to be collateralized, multi-sig uh, in the back end mm-hmm. because you have to, you have to, yeah, you have to collateralize the Bitcoin and then create a token that's backed by it. Right. I mean, maybe you can do that on an Ethereum contract. I don't know, but yeah, again, I guess the benefit you have Ethereum. this key problem, right? So. How decentralized these things are going to be, I think it's to some degree a red herring. I think that, the, mm-hmm. the, you know, like think about it. This is analogous to the gun debate in, in, in the United States. And I know I'm sort of bringing in a huge topic, but like, here's the thing. You, you give everybody guns and then there's centralized risk that there's some maniac with a gun running around. But it means that a bit, you're not putting the, the, the risk on the system that the government has to save you. And if the government goes dark, then they take you over, right? With something like 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 small centralized banks, right? <laughs> private banking. Yeah, there's private banks that you're trusting, but they're all small, and you're not you're not putting the risk on the system, right? In the current system, there's this massive systemic risk because there's a massive head- hierarchy of federally federal fiat that can bail out the banks. You know, on a Bitcoin standard or, or the way that it used to be in the gold standard, there's a bunch of private banks that nobody could bail out. So if you fuck it up, you lose the money, right? If you, if you make bad loans, you're taking the hit. You have to manage that risk personally, and that requires full human intelligence. And um, so I think that's the way that it's probably going to end up being again because AI is not going to be capable of doing that kind of transition for a long time. And unless you're doing KYC, the stock pop, pop socket accounts are going to keep milking the bugs in the system. And if you're not if you're not uh, under collateralizing a loan, then who's loaning the money? To, like, what's the point? I think you know? KYC is going to look a lot different in the future of a successful DeFi adoption, bro. Yeah, uh, it'd, it'd be really great do. to innovate on that. I think, I think you know, like how much can you milk? Synonymous, synonymous KYC, you know. Uh, I, I think what Civic Vinny yeah, Lingham was up to was really interesting. Yeah, yeah there's decentralized right. identity um, that's being worked on. But I'll tell you this. The, the main reason I, I am excited about this field is – um, because I believe that any form of centralized finance is always going to fall under the thumb of the government and under the thumb of regulations and central banks. And I believe the only way out of that is if we create more Bitcoins, <laughs> you know, and, and I don't mean mm-hmm. more Bitcoins, but more things in the spirit of Bitcoin. We need more pseudonymous um, code released on Ethereum that's just sort of dropped and then let people run with it. Because a big problem that we have is the admin keys. A lot of them are being held by corporations and people that are based in the US. And if the government wants to step in and say, you know what, you have to alter your code in order to meet our regulations, they are capable of doing it. They will do it. If they don't do it, they'll go to jail. Right? So Right, exactly. My- so hear me out. If they burn that key and they can't do it, they go to jail, right? I don't That's know. That's why they're not burning their keys. For that. Because if they do and they can't, if they are held accountable for what the technology is that they created, that they let loose into the world, that they can no longer control, they could be held accountable. That's why Satoshi is never going to come forward and be like, I did that Bitcoin thing. Because the first thing the US government's going to be like, hey, remember Silk Road? Yeah, uh, jail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at like Ether Delta type situation, you know, there's, there's, I don't know if that's really clear yet, but I, I think you're right in that there's a good chance of that. And that's why 
I, I'm not completely convinced that any of the current projects are going to meet the standards I have for decentralization. Same, same. I don't, I'm not saying I'm not ruling them out, but I'm not completely convinced because they haven't fully shown me that they're willing to get there. Set Compound has come the farthest and they're about to decentralize their governance and they're going to split up the governance tokens. But the question is, will there still be a handful of people at the top who, if they got together, could make the changes needed to meet um, those regulations? Um, but I, like I said before, I think the most exciting stuff is yet to come. And what I'm trying to do is inspire developers who are just coming into this space to think about these issues right up front, right? And to think about, okay, what can I build, build that I don't need to put my name on or that I can just set loose? You know, maybe it's not a huge ecosystem like Compound. Maybe it's small tools here and there, these primitives that kind of can serve as a, this app layer for people to build on top of. There's a lot of stuff that could happen in the next year or two. Um, but my goal personally is really to build transparency in the space. So people, just a final thing here, like people, um, my biggest issue is people don't see this stuff. Like users don't see what we're talking about right now. They think, a lot of people think Compound and Aave and all these, these things we're using on Ethereum are just as decentralized as Bitcoin. Okay, that's just because people don't know what questions to ask. So on my YouTube channel, I try to reveal, like I just put a video up today about MakerDAO and DAI, and I put a whole section in there about risk, about the possible risks. I linked to a, a speech from one of the MakerDAO people about risk, because every time I talk about this stuff, I want people to know the risks that come with centralized um, protocols and products, because I want to inspire people to build the decentralized mm -hmm. ones. And I think that's what's going to come next. Um, and it's probably going to happen on Ethereum. Okay, whether you like it or not, because it's the best place for it to happen. I can't think, you asked before what other chains are there. I haven't seen any other chains that meet the level of decentralization of Ethereum. Even if you don't think it's fully as decentralized as Bitcoin, it's the most, it's the closest we've got right now. And I'm not the guy who's going to go out there and build a new chain, right? So it's like, that's my take on it. And, uh, <laughs> I'm excited about what's to come. All right. Very, very positive. Let's, uh, uh, I, I, let's move to what Juan wanted to say about uh, Steemit, uh, because this is uh, people are actually asking about it in the chat too. Yeah, so. Steemit is really interesting. So um, I'll, I'll kind of break down the story a little bit, and I, I might get some of the terms incorrectly here. I'm going to make sure I get the right terms. But basically, um, Tron bought out, said that the, he bought a blockchain, which is just ridiculous, right? And say, and then. What actually happened is uh, he bought out Steam Inc. I think or Steemit Inc. Steemit yeah. Ste Inc. is a corporation. I'm not sure where they're based exactly, but it's a corporation that owns the the, the domain name Steemit.com. It also owns a portion, like a significant founders share um, that they've been using to kind of like help the community here and there over the years, right? Well, that's what they bought, and they bought certain IP, but most of the Ethereum, the, the, the Steam blockchain is actually released in open source under an MIT license. So most of it is open source. There's not a, that much, like not all of it is IP, right? And so, and so that's what, that's what, um, that's what, that's what Tron bought. That's what Justin Sun sort of, you know, empire purchased, right? And, uh, and so in retaliation to that, and I, I'm not sure exactly why this happened, right? But I guess estimate people were like, whoa, 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 we'll slow the fuck down. And and, and concerned, I guess, about what tr what Justin might do. I'm not sure what triggered it, but but the estimate community, and, and because it's a delegated proof of stake system where there's sort of like uh, proof of stake voting that elects, uh, I think it's 21 
uh, nodes to be the guardians of the blockchain, the, the, the block producers, the, the, the block uh, uh, co-signers, so to speak. Right? Witnesses. The witnesses. Thank you. Um, they, um, you know, a lot of them were like, well, okay, we're just going to soft fork the lion's share by, by Steam and Inc. We're just going to soft fork that into not being useful because we're afraid that that lion's share is going to start messing with the, the natural consensus of like the organic consensus of Steemit, right? Well, in retaliation to that, Justin Song not only voted in a bunch of pop socket witnesses, but through his influence, got Binance, Hobie, and Poloniex. Apparently, he owns Poloniex, yeah. and then and then Hobie. I'm not sure what relationship is there. And then got Binance and all of them to to use consumer funds in their exchanges, consumer user Steemits, lock them into a the Steemit smart contract in order to be able to vote <clears throat> uh, for the delegates that Justin Song wanted. And that way he, he basically undid the soft fork, right? So now they're at a kind of like consensus deadlock where there's no, there's no uh, majority that has a, a unified vision. And all the money that was on those three exchanges, all the team that was on those three exchanges is locked up in a 13-month contract that... that 13 weeks. 13-week contract like, where the money can't be withdrawn. It has to be withdrawn, you know, one-thirteenth uh, a week at a time, right? So now these exchanges have this liquidity risk where all the Steemit community, of course, is pissed. And so if they, if they try to withdraw their Steemit, that Steemit is not going to be available for withdrawal. So what does the exchange have to do? Well, they're going to have to buy it on the market and sell it, yep. right? And that's going to start creating liquidity and, and, and accounting balance problems for the exchanges. So that's the hot potato that they're trying to resolve right now. I just listened to a to a well a portion of a of a public kind of um, town hall yesterday where Justin Sun was and his guy Roy were they were talking with some of the witnesses and uh, and they're trying to like figure this out. And as far as I can tell, Justin Sun's top priority is. Hard forking steam it out of that 13-week uh, time lock so that he can bail out the exchanges. And the developers are like, best case scenario, you need a month. You you get four weeks. Uh, you know, you we can reduce it to four weeks. Best case scenario, possibly theoretically, but it's not safe to hard fork and break this fundamental part of the of the theory of the of the steam it consensus, right? So the exchanges are going to bite the bullet here. Justin mm-hmm. Song is going to is in a you know an embarrassing position, which is very bad for the Chinese. You shouldn't be embarrassed as a Chinese person. And um, I mean, I think it's it's uh, it's really a great example of a not just the the weakness of proof of stake in a, in, a, in a market that with massive centralization of wealth in exchanges, but also a weakness of delegated proof of stake, right? And and how. You know, again, we could bring it back to Ethereum, but like just delegated proof of stake alone, um, it's it gets very political sometimes, and that's that's what we're seeing right now. So, you know, going forward, they're they're working, they're trying to find a peaceful path. Um, long story short, the current the current demands from the Steemit community is that uh, Tron forego their voting rights of their shares and make some donations to the Steam community funds to sort of fund development and such. And then Justin Sun just wants to bail out the exchanges because he probably, like from what I heard from Binance, Binance was like, oh, we thought this was like a regular update type of thing, which sounds like nonsense, right? But they're trying to like not take the heat on it. Um, 
I think they're going to take some heat. I think they're going to they're going to pay the the consequences of playing politics in 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 crypto and and it's very analogous to the Bitcoin Cash Bitcoin fork because because it was this sort of corporate consensus that was parallel to the grassroots consensus and that tension is being felt and this is proof that you know running a node does help granted proof of stake is different and they actually mm-hmm. you know it was a proof of stake fork but um Anyway, very, very entertaining drama, and I'm paying. I'm trying to keep an eye on it. Well, if you want to pay attention to this more closely, with probably the toppest of the top tier information, I will say I, I've been following Agroad001. That's um, right. That's A-G-G-R-O-E-D-001 on Twitter. Highly recommend you follow Agroad001 mm-hmm. for his information on this. And yeah, uh, he's the founder of Splinterlands. He's, uh, Splinterlands, he's- uh, Steam Engine, the Steam Keychain. I mean, literally everything built on Steam besides Steam It, this guy helped build. So is- uh, I've been following him very, very closely the past few days, man. And yeah, you pretty much hit it all on the head, bro. I mean... I think this is beautiful, though. I mean, maybe Chris or Adam may disagree, but I think this is beautiful. I love seeing this. Uh, I want to call it a war, but it's not because this is exactly how it should be playing out. Everything that's happening, the way it's happening, is the yeah. only way it was ever going to happen. I mean, you know, people didn't that the people that didn't realize that steam it was uh, a centralized corporation utilizing the centralized technology that was the steam blockchain uh, i i think you know it's, it's darwinism but the way mm. that the governance uh, model the politics is playing out i think it's beautiful it will be historic people will mm-hmm. look back at this much like mm-hmm. the dow and the bitcoin bch yeah. hard fork and mm-hmm. this will be a precedent for what to expect as a catalyst for future events in proof of stake and mm-hmm. governance environments. And I, again, I think it's beautiful. However, it happens positive or negative for either side. It's good for the industry as a whole that it is happening in general. Yeah, this is precedent setting. Um, the game theory is being hard tested with high stakes on, on, on Steam it. And this is going to have big impact on, on how EOS, for example, if they're doing anything still, um, <laughs> I don't really ever hear about them anymore. Um, the, how they think about their the game theory, but it's also going to affect Ethereum's game theory because, as far as I understand, and again, the things seem to, you know, change relatively fast in Ethereum. But you know, if if Ethereum forks into a proof of stake model where they're using collateralized proof of stake in order to achieve some kind of consensus, then yeah, that money on the exchanges is going to be uh, part of the bet right and not only like today it's it's some uh very ambitious uh uh justin song uh kind of playing power games and 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 consolidating centralized shit coins together <laughs> <laughs> like a great you know Genghis Genghis Khan of, of shit coins you know um but tomorrow it might be a government right like like the regulators will just could be like hey you're gonna have to support this soft fork right and um that's why I think what's happening in India is pretty yeah. interesting too to see the bank try to fight with the uh the Supreme Court. I'm like I didn't I never really would have thought banks thought they had so much power when it came to government and the court. Right. But damn, India has proven That's great. otherwise, right? That's like, great. Yeah. Yeah, banks India pretty liberated much will from... be their own Supreme Court. <laughs> Mm. Uh, yeah, what's that aggro what's the aggro guys uh yeah, uh, yeah. so I, i'd like the experiment too i'm, I'm with ken i'm like 
I the people it, it's it's interesting to see how this is all going to play out. But what's that aggro guys? I want to look them up real quick. It's uh, on Twitter. It's A G G R O E D zero zero one. Okay. Oh, there he is. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll add that under the notes. Chris, uh, do you have anything to say about all this stuff? Because it's um, a little bit of Ethereum stuff in there. Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's a little. It does get a little out of, outside of my scope, um, to be honest with you. But one thing that I did learn. That was a key difference, I believe, between the um, the uh, Steam situation and Ethereum, is that with um, proof of stake as Ethereum is is planning it, uh, the validators are are only <laughs> going to be verifying the blocks. They're not going to be involved in governance, right? So yes, they could support a fork, but then all the other nodes would have to support that fork. Okay, and with the size of Ethereum, it's pretty unlikely that somebody would be able to get a majority fork. Um, that's my understanding of it. So, and and I know that this has been coming a lot of Vitalik, and I've been following his tweets about it. He's always he's making a point consistently to say that proof of stake, as Ethereum is planning it, does not equal the coin voting that's sort of what has been going on here and causing a lot of the problems. So again, it's a little outside of my scope. I might have said something wrong there, but. I am seeing that there is a difference in what's being uh, talked about with Steemit versus what Ethereum is actually planning. So I encourage everybody to do their own research on it. Uh, I, I want to say with the Steam people, oh, keeping, if there really are Steam fans out there that keep their Steam on an exchange, I mean, this is what you get, man. You gave mm -hmm. the exchanges power. It is so Control your own private key, whatever darn coin you have. You should have Bitcoin, people. But if, for some reason, if you're valuing your wealth in Steam, I, I can't believe you're keeping it on their freaking on the, on Binance. Uh, and, and because this is what it leads to, you gave them a uh, uh, centralization risk on top of centralization risk. Yeah, uh, that's why I worry about yeah. Litecoin, man. Look how much Litecoin Coinbase is in possession of. You know, it's it's a lot. <laughs> I look at these exchanges and try to see uh, if they have like a 30, 40% majority of a lot of these coins. And you'd be, you'd be shocked to find out how many have a significant stake in these well, games yeah, because yeah, of how many people use their exchange to hold their coins, not yeah. realizing they're creating centralized, you know, uh, monoliths in the space and dwindling their individual powers, man. It's, Wait, it's just, and how many, how many Litecoin does uh, Coinbase have? I believe it's about 50%, 50 something percent. Whoa. Well, I've never read, I need, uh, I need some stats. I'm going to do some research there. That yeah. would be, uh, yeah, Coinbase is one of the largest Litecoin holders. Period. Like, but fifty percent of all. I mean, that would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, look at their look at their. Uh, you know, you could go back to 2018, 2017, 2018 run where we saw you know what three hundred thousand new people joining Coinbase every month. You know, they were having millions of people within uh, quarters of their year joining, and yeah. It's not in, it's not without uh, possibility to see this happening. And more and more as this space goes on with these, you know, coins as they come out, we'll see become centralized due to exchange power, you know, and this is why I love watching what's happening with steam right now. And, and, and Justin Sun and everything is, this is going to be that precedential momentous history. We're going to be like the steam it versus Tron, you know, like a court of law mention when things happen or, or are expected to happen. Cause you know, this is going to be played out in other blockchains. This isn't just a Steam issue or a Steemit issue. This isn't, you know, uh, centralized to just their blockchain for their governance model. This is all of the blockchains that use this governance model have a potential outcome of this.
I also like the corporate takeover. Uh, this is the first big uh, corporate takeover type of attempt here, uh, whether it be of the site or the blockchain, whatever way you want to interpret it. Yep. Um, I, I would think, I, I don't know, if I was a, a big Steemit fan or and held a lot of steam, I would be happy that Justin Sun was taken over from Thank Ned you. or whoever. Thank you. Would. I agree with you, Adam, 100%. He's I am excited. of all coins. I mean, it, it'll bring up – he's a respectable C. Well, <laughs> he's a CEO. <laughs> he's a, I, 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 don't, I don't know the dude personally, but he he. it's a more professional take than what was going on before, that it was it, – the steam, it never changed. It always looked the same. Thank he, you. He's, Bro, it was forever yeah. baited. It was so boring. Yeah. It died It died the day it was born, in my opinion. You know, <laughs> steam, it was a stillborn project. Everybody kept resuscitating, taking turns, blowing air and pumping its heart. Like I felt so bad for steam whales as, as steam kept growing older and never getting better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey everyone pound that like button now. Okay. We'll move off this. We'll move off the steam it thing. Uh, I'll get there one more thing in there oh, yeah, about, about um, Ethereum and DeFi um, that is sort of a risk in this regard, even if um, the kind of damage uh, that's happening with Steam is pretty unlikely, I think, with the proof of stake on Ethereum. Um, there's still the, the chance of forks. And there, with the power consolidation that's happening with DeFi, um, something that um, came up in the past couple of weeks was a potential hard fork with the prog pow uh, progressive proof, proof of work um situation that was averted but um if there ever is a situation where two competing forks come up with ethereum DeFi has some serious problems because you know the the um the projects that are supporting and i'm talking about DeFi as it currently exists in a centralized mm -hmm. fashion because the companies that are supporting these projects would need to pick a chain and as power gets consolidated by like MakerDAO and some other projects, who knows? Maybe why wouldn't we maybe see a day where MakerDAO um, wants to push its weight around and you know does a governance vote that supports a hard fork to support some specific agenda that they have, and then all the rest of DeFi has to follow them because if oh. they don't, the, the whole system breaks. Nobody can use Dai on the new chain because it's not being supported by MakerDAO's foundation. So there's a lot of situations where hard forks in Ethereum could really screw up DeFi. So that's why it's gonna be really interesting over the next couple of years to see if a hard fork does come up that's contested, um, it'll probably be squashed like the one that just happened. You know, so it's until it can't be anymore. <laughs> Chris, you know, I love so. that. Thank you for putting that in my mind. I'm definitely gonna have to dive down that rabbit hole. Sure. Yeah, I was gonna actually ask you about that because I, uh, I'm, gl I'm glad you brought that up, man. Uh, so I, I don't see how anybody in their right mind would want to fork Ethereum at this point with all that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, w w your, your DeFi bread and butter would be totally at risk there. I mean, it would be, uh, it's, it's, un everybody's un got to follow the same chain or else we're in trouble. At least yeah. all the DeFi <laughs> protocols, you know, um, because yeah, like I they said, could collude, they could come together. The, the DeFi exchanges could collude and, and, and pull their weight together, if not strong enough independently. And we could see the Ethereum Enterprise Alliance have another alliance to deal with. That's right. All right. Uh, I, I'm glad that was uh, brought up. By the way, all these guys' Twitters are below. And from their Twitters, you can see the videos they're in and all that stuff. That's why I just give the Twitter. But I did I did give Chris's uh, special DeFi site down there also. But Chris has got good videos. Ken's got good. They tweet them out all the time and everything. Juan's got good videos. So, yeah, again, when I, when I give a Twitter, people, you just you read the whole thing. Treat it like a blog. Go down. They, they've got great stuff there. All right. Let's, I, I, I sent this article out to you guys. I, I don't know if you guys looked at it or not, but the uh, 
Brad Mills uh, windfall gain survey. Uh, did you get to look at that, Chris, at all? I I unfortunately did not. Oh, oh man! Uh, <laughs> did, did you guys? Did, did any of you guys get to to, to look at that? Uh, just to see uh, the, the question. He actually had a professional survey out there, finally saying to, to to beyond Bitcoin people, just outside of our world, saying, "Hey, if you had ten years, uh, and uh, what would you want your ten thousand dollars in? Uh, would you want it in uh, Bitcoin or gold or the Federal Reserve notes or a ten years U.S. Treasury bond? So you you saw that you saw that thing. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Uh, I thought that the uh, Federal Reserve notes would have because because of who he is, right? Because you know uh, who his audience is or whatever. I thought they would have just said cash is king. You know, I thought we would have just got one of those you know boomer answers, and we didn't, which is pretty interesting. Well, at first, at first it was. At first it was. But then when they got the education, it wasn't. They like it was. They asked the question at the beginning of the survey and then at the end of the survey. And uh, but in the middle of the survey was all the, you know it was questions about how great Bitcoin was. So I think I think the point that I, I why I liked it so much is that when people understand what Bitcoin is, uh, they they pick it as a long term investment. But most people don't understand what Bitcoin is right now. That that was. Uh, I think that 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 came out of the survey. Anyway, I, I linked to the survey below. I it had about- nine hundred and twenty votes for those wondering. You know, it wasn't like we. It- no, I, I I don't. I was that it. I mean, this is. I'm talking about the. In- I don't know how many people were on the survey. It was nine hundred twenty. I don't know. I think so. I'm looking at the. Uh, I'm looking at it now, trying to pull some of the information. Like Ron Paul's original, which it looks like. No, no, but that's different. That's right, right. That's different. That one had uh, seventy thousand votes, so that's yes. why I'm correlating the response, though. And the other one by Brad Mills, uh, it says it had nine hundred twenty votes, and that's so that might have changed, obviously, as it went. This is during the time of the screenshot that of his is, report. When it says nine hundred twenty votes. That. I, I think that was his initial question to Twitter people, but the survey itself yeah. was beyond Twitter. Oh, okay. a PDF in here too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there it is. All right. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to look it up now so I can get the numbers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I don't know. Juan, did you get a chance well, to look at that at all? Or? I mean, oh, please, Chris. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, um, like you said, you know, I'm just looking at it now and it says um, 40% of the respondents believe Bitcoin is controlled by a company, you know, and uh, it, it really, uh, it says 62% just want to learn more about Bitcoin because they don't know enough to be able to answer this right. You know, so, um, you know, this shows different results than the Twitter survey. Yeah, it's it looks like it's Bitcoin. Different- it's right. different people. It's a it's a scientific survey. Finally, we got a real survey. Instead well, of men were more likely to say U.S. dollar than women. Interesting. At first, yeah, at first. Yeah, uh, but I mean, that just means like you know, uh, women are it, more yeah, into. It breaks it down by demographic. It's a really interesting survey, people, and it's finally a scientific one. So check it out. And Bitcoin still came out ahead. In which form would you want this? Yeah, that's the like, interesting yeah, part. Bitcoin still comes out ahead, followed by U.S. dollars, and then gold. Yeah, so. after they got educated, after they yeah. were educated. It's funny, gold got the bronze medal. <laughs> <laughs> interesting way of looking at it. Sorry, uh, Peter Schiff. All right, uh, Juan, did you did you have any thoughts on that thing on that survey? I'm actually I'm I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, I think I think the most important takeaway here is that Generation X, Millennials, and C are the ones that are most interested in Bitcoin. Yep. Um, boomers, not so much. Surprise, surprise. 
um, you know, we're this is a long multi generational game. We got to go for the young people. They're the ones that are going to be computer literate. They're going to be the ones that are going to be uh, willing to. I mean, this is the reality of 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 young people today is that they they don't have loyalty to platforms. They hop around, right? They move from Snapchat to TikTok to sound. You know, before TikTok was uh, musically, and then they just hop around social networks. They don't they don't care to build. Uh, reputation on social networks like like we do, uh, apparently as you know as much. So I think they're going to be the ones that are going to be tech literate and they're going to be trying out a lot of this technology. Yeah, boomers are gonna are gonna outsource it to their wealth manager. You know, it's like okay, you know, if you think it makes sense, I guess go for it, right? Because that's that's how they that's the world they grew up in, you know. And that's I don't think that's going to change. I think I think we need to invest in the youth right now, and that'll pay off big time in the next. 10, 20 years. Speaking of that right there, uh, I just stumbled on something really interesting in this survey, which is question nine. And question nine was, who do you think creates new U.S. dollars? Is (laughs) it the the Treasury, the President, Congress, or the Federal Reserve? And half the people, the number one answer was the Treasury, which is incorrect. It's the Federal Reserve. (laughs) But then it breaks it down into age groups. And the age group that got the right answer the most out of everybody was millennials. Mm. More millennials than any other age group knew that the Federal Reserve was responsible for creating new dollars. Mm. And why do you think that is? I'm gonna guess right now that that's because of crypto. I think that once you get into crypto and you understand Bitcoin, you start to learn about the economy. You start to learn Mm. about the nature of money. You start to learn about fiat and how dollars are created. And Bitcoin is overwhelmingly millennial. So I think that that has a lot to do with the education. And I think that these are the people, millennials today, and you know specifically the, the this crowd that we're talking about here is going to decide the future of money. Yeah. I, and again, education, once they got that education and understood, they made the right choice and, and picked Bitcoin. But interesting theory about uh, why, why they uh, the young, that group knew about uh, the Federal Reserve and the other ones didn't seem to as much all right uh did, did any of you guys have comment on that survey before yeah, man, you said education i thought that was hilarious because i'm looking at this ses effects did you see that one yo the richest people are the dumbest people in the room nine <laughs> out of ten times sometimes but they but the richest people were the ones most likely to buy bitcoin at first too right yeah, and, I, I'm, I'm looking at the, the uh the wealthy were most likely to think the u.s dollar was backed by the gold reserves in fort knox uh 42 and less likely to think it was backed by nothing and contrary to the uh poverty poverty obviously knew that the u.s dollar was backed by nothing so it's like it's funny to see that you know uh the the larger your pockets the smaller your your mind may be sometimes because you do subcontract out a lot of life experience or a lot of what you would normally do you know or learn you just kind of subsidize to the servants beneath you and the servants beneath you end up learning a hell of a lot more than you know about your own business if you're wealthy if you're wealthy, what's it matter where the, the money came from? You got the money. That's a good point. Right. Yeah. So that point on the same page of that survey, um, it says, um, what was the percentage um, by wealth level of people who got the right answer to the question, who controls Bitcoin? The right mm-hmm. answer was nobody or mm-hmm. the users. And the top, um, per, the top age group that got it right was millennials below the poverty line. <laughs> so it's like poor millennials <laughs> Young, got it right. Young, and full of Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> and wealthy have, older people got it wrong. But young millennials have 
that are poor, they're, I mean, they're on the internet more probably like trying to learn, trying to figure out how to like get out of the situation. Maybe that's, I, and they're I, tripping I, and falling into it. A lot of this, you know, they're learning by just uh elbow room conversation, you know, water cooler talk in, in, in high school and in their groups. It's the uh, cryptocurrency is the topic of conversation for millennials right now. So even if you're not going out of your way to learn about it, you're going to end up hearing about it uh, uh, through like Facebook or through uh, Xbox, you know, live chat or something, you know, when you're gaming. Either way, I think it's coming up a lot more younger, poorer conversations than it is for the older, wealthier. And uh, it's and that's actually like a really interesting, you know, to think about the educational distribution of what's happening right now is there's a very big uh, unbalance of understanding and, and uh, education on what this is. And the wealthy, mm -hmm. the uh, the boomers, they don't have that advantage that the millennials have. That the, the you know that the people. So take advantage of it, guys. We know more than them. All right. Okay. Let's uh, let's get toward the end. We, we've had a long show here today. I do want to ask uh, Juan Galt real quick. Uh, uh, Juan Galt only uh, question. You had ugly. You had ugly old goat on, and you were talking about Bitcoin dominance. What, what do you, mm -hmm. you have anything to say about Bitcoin dominance on this show today? Yeah, we're talking a lot about that. I mean, I think I think we we're kind of talking about the libertarian economic theory and some of the myths that are that are there. This is one of the one of the things that I've mentioned was the theory of private banking. There's there's an article called uh, "The Lost Art of Commercial Banking," which I highly recommend. I tweeted it out, and I'll tweet it again. And, and I think everybody should read it. I'm going through it right now. It reads kind of like a white paper. It's about eight pages long, and it's about private banking during the gold standard and how that developed. You know, in private banking in an environment that where there's no Federal Reserve Bank to bail them out, right? And I think that's what Ethereum should be looking at. I think that's what Bitcoin should be looking at. I think that's what finance, tech, fine fintech people should be looking at in a, in a world that unpegs from the dollar as a, as a currency. Um, the other thing was that uh, I think it was Murray Rothbard that uh, Ugly apparently wrote an article back in the day call, calling Mary Rothbard a gold socialist because apparently Mary Rothbard wanted to like wanted to make fiat currency legal, right? And at first, so on first sight, it's like, yeah. But on second sight, it's like, wait a second, you want to enforce a gold standard? That's wrong. It needs to compete in the free market and win. And uh, and so that was really interesting. And so there, there, that, that's kind of like a, you know, matrix cracking uh, idea. Um, so anyway, we talked about some of those things and, and about what it what, what it means to have Bitcoin as the standard. I think you guys had to go check it out because it's a really good good show. And there's still generally some updates about uh, Ugly's uh, newsletter and, and what we're going to be doing moving forward. We're going to be having a Bitcoin Standard Academy here in Ensenada, Mexico, in Baja, California, uh, for traders and people that are looking to increase their their mastery of how to use Bitcoin in some of these cryptocurrencies, primarily Bitcoin, really. Um, how to do, you know, OPSEC and online security and how to, you know, mitigate some of these big uh, hack risks, right? Like SIM card hacks and stuff like that. So we're going we're gonna to merge money management with OPSEC education. And uh, that's going to be the Bitcoin standard. I can't wait to me. Around May 15th, is, I think we're aiming at it. So keep an eye out on, on Ugly's uh, and, and my, my Twitter account and stuff. All right, cool. And uh, anything else you want to add? Conclusionary thoughts since we're at the well, end of the show. Yeah, I mean, I, I missed I missed Chris's response on on the on the proof of stake Ethereum thing. I mean, I'd love to I'd love to get a 
get get something. You know, you can go and you, you can go to uh, Adam Wake's like, YouTube channel and and watch this. Yeah, I have to go listen to it. I mean, I wanted to I wanted to engage. I wanted to engage in that a little bit. Hang on, give me a second. Well, I can mute you. There. You got that extra. Is that okay? Yeah, there you, you took care of it. Yeah, Jitsi finally installed in my phone and then suddenly started um, echoing everything. Um, yeah, so I mean, I don't know. I think it's interesting, right? Like the, the, the consensus risk of exchanges holding a lot of Ethereum if it's a proof of stake currency. I mean that can't you can't that can't not have an important effect on consensus, right? And the the, the fact that that's separated in Bitcoin, right? Like the the stake and, and and proof of work are completely separated in Bitcoin. Um, that might prove to be a, a a big a big difference in the future. All right. Uh, did you uh, did you want Chris to say something about that? Or yeah, I mean, if if you have any thoughts on that, Chris, and then we can maybe talk about it more some other time. I mean, I don't want to repeat what I said before too much, but sure. um, basically. Um, I, I said I'm definitely it's definitely out of my scope. I'm not an Ethereum defender. I'm a blockchain agnostic type of guy. Um, I, I also brought up that um, I have been following Vitalik's thoughts on this, and he's made it clear over and over that that um, Ethereum proof of stake is not going to support um, any code decisions, any governance decisions. It's specifically for validating blocks. My understanding of it, which is limited, that's what it is. is. That that's what it my understanding of it is. Right. My, my understanding is that it, a fork is absolutely possible, right? If if um, consolidation occurs, and the biggest risk is going to be the DeFi, you know. And I went through this before about how DeFi needs to be on the same fork, or else things just fall apart because everything is connected, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, I think the bigger risk that we need to be worried about as DeFi grows and takes market share from centralized exchanges with with regard to Ethereum, which I believe it will, is how DeFi projects are going to want to make these decisions and sort of run away with a fork that meets their needs. You know, so mm -hmm. I think that's the bigger concern for Ethereum long term than mm -hmm. than centralization on exchange. Um, if DeFi grows the way I think it's mm -hmm. going to, so we'll have yeah, to see. I suspect the, the, this Ethereum, this theme of drama, depending on how it ends, you know. Whether it ends in a steamed fork or whether it ends on a on a peaceful resolution between Tron and Steamed, which I think would be positive for everybody involved. I think, you know, despite Justin Sun's shrewd power uh, games, and he, he 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 that is what he does. I mean, you gotta go listen to that 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 YouTube uh, video where they're negotiating the the resolution. I mean, Jesus Christ, this guy is like a politician. It's like straight up political talk. Uh, but he's, you know, he's he's a peacekeeper, and to some degree, he's just trying to like move forward, very pragmatic, not really interested in principles. Um, but he can bring about a huge growth to Steemit, I think. And uh, but it, depending on how this plays out, I think this could have some some consequences for the development of proof of stake in Ethereum, right? Because you know that's going to be a contentious uh, battle the day that it comes, you know. A lot of you know, there's, a, there's there's a contingent of Ethereum people that don't want to move to proof of stake, as far as I understand, and uh, you know the miners are definitely invested in proof of work in, in 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 Ethereum. So this could be this this is good. This is adding uh, another another weapon to that to that debate. If that if if I'm explaining myself well, yes, yes, you. And are. again, I, oh. I think regardless of of how Ethereum moves forward, the risk still exists always it's existential to to defi 
uh, with contentious hard forks. So it almost, at a certain point, doesn't matter anymore how they happen. Uh, the question is, are they possible? Um, are there are there um, vested interests that could bring them about? And uh, how would it affect the ecosystem we're building, which is this giant, I don't want to call it a house of cards necessarily. People like to say money mm -hmm. Legos, uh, but it is in a sense a kind of a house of cards only when you think about the fork potential, okay? <laughs> because if it forks and then they go separate ways, then there's a big problem. That's funny. I actually called uh, DeFi a house of cards on a house of cards uh, once and people got all upset because I feel like Ethereum's already a house of cards and you're going to build a, a house of cards on that. But it's I, 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 I'm excited to see where it comes from this experiment. I think Ethereum will learn a lot from, from what's happening with Steemit and Steam and Justin's son. All right, Ken, since we got you here, uh, what are your conclusionary thoughts? Any story you wanted to bring up that got left out? Anything? Uh, I did mention it subtly, but uh, I thought that what's happening in India right now, where the uh, the banks are clashing with the Supreme Court for the uh, the ban on cryptos, uh, I, I think is, uh, again, it's outside of crypto, but again, a presidential event in, in our historical you know paradigm shift of currency and technology and wealth distribution, man, like the, the banks are full on trying their best to survive and fight back against this you know it's it's like if if blockbuster was in the room when netflix was asking for a loan you know it's like of course they wouldn't have got it and and, and the, the supreme court has has obviously ruled in favor of cryptocurrencies but the uh, the reserve bank of india is not a, is not happy they're claiming that it is detrimental to the local currency and there's no evidence to prove this but they're like their fud is could be causing their their evidence you know it's insane like you know a bank saying that the money isn't going to be doing good if the government is doing this which they are doing they're causing their own uh fruitions you know and it's that's why they don't have the proof of their their claims today but they will because they're they're causing it and they will correlate that to the uh the the cryptocurrency adoption but yeah i mean india is huge and uh, uh i want to see what happens there and i'm looking at it through uh rose tinted glasses at the moment you know because the skeptical me with my tinfoil hat on so tight uh my you know it, it's it's the China ban all over again. You know, we've been dealing with India for a while now with this. And I'm just curious to see when we're going to see, you know, the, the bank lobby their way into the Supreme Court's pocket and get this reversed. And then whatever, six months later, they decide to do it again so they can get paid again. And it just keeps becoming this laundering, uh, extorting, you know, lobbying circle that never ends in India. Financial it, Game of Thrones. Yeah. yeah, it went in China forever, man. It was just a, a way for the, the politicians to get a bunch of money in their pocket from the crypto pro lobbyists, right? So it's like, we ban it, then they get paid. Okay, it's unbanned. The money runs out. We ban it again. We get paid. We unban it. Uh, India, this could be a, a, a very similar event, but uh, hopefully yeah. not. Uh, I, I'll say this. I was initially happy when they – it was two days ago now that they said Bitcoin or cryptocurrency was legal. But I said on the show, India is notorious for its bureaucracy and holding everything up. And and look, look, they're, they're trying to hold it up, create bureaucracy. They're corrupt. It's an incredibly corrupt uh, – bureaucracy too so uh i wouldn't be surprised if your scenario comes true like the, the corruption it's, legal, then, it's legal then it's illegal then we bribe then it's legal then we bribe then yeah, I, I have an interesting little insight into this i'm friends with uh sonny ray who ran 
uh, founded and ran one of the biggest Indian exchanges. And the moment that this happened, he sent me a message. He's like, we beat him, you know? And, and I think he sent me a link to an article and such. So I think I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic, you know, like the, there's a difference between an, an administrative ruling uh, to ban a thing as, as a communist party of China would do and a Supreme Court decision in what appears to be a country with a Supreme Court. I guess <laughs> uh, I guess they have some some common law and sort of European influence there. And so that should be like th- those Supreme Court decisions tend to take a long time. And that ban lasted like three years. It was really brutal. But now, you know, this, that ruling that's a very deep change. So if, if, if there's any other attacks on crypto, they're probably going to be administrative and, and they're not going to be at a constitutional sort of like, you know, uh, level, so to speak. So I think this is very good for, for India and for crypto. It's a, it's a good sign in India. I mean, there's a lot of money there, you know? So if that's, maybe that's the beginning of the next bull market, you know? I, I, I agree. It, it could be, it could be the South uh, Korea, South Korea went wild in late 2017, uh, buying up a bunch of crypto. Hopefully one day it'll be India because India's got a lot more people. And yep. uh, although, although most of them don't have access to the internet or whatever, but you, everyone understands the potential. Second uh, most populated country on earth, et cetera. All right. Uh, let's, Chris, you got the final word. Final word. So um, I would encourage everybody listening to this to um, pay attention to, even if you never plan to use DeFi on Ethereum, pay attention to the Bitcoin projects that are occurring that are going to be building these trustless bridges that we talked about before. And I'll tell you a couple to look at. I'm not involved with any of them, but I'm observing them closely. Um, TBTC uh, is one trusted Bitcoin from Keep Project. Um, there's REN Project. And then uh, one was announced yesterday called P Tokens, which is a centralized, pretty centralized version. But the other two are more trustless, um, still at levels of centralization. Just pay attention because what's going to start happening is more and more Bitcoin is going to be traded on Ethereum. And even today, as of today, there's a, a centralized solution for tokenizing Bitcoin called wrapped Bitcoin mm-hmm. that you can use on Ethereum. Oh, yeah. There is just as much, if not more, Bitcoin trading on Ethereum right now than Lightning Network. Okay. They're pretty much head and head, neck and neck. Okay. Wow. So it's around 8 million on Lightning and around 8 million uh, trading on Ethereum. Once these new bridges open up, that's going to double, triple, quadruple. So, you know, we've got the Bitcoin crowd that we know are like, you know, the, the hardcore never use Ethereum people. Think about all the people who are just holding Bitcoin, have been sitting on it since 2017, and just maybe want to earn some interest without having to go into a centralized exchange and do KYC. Those are people who might take advantage of this to just shift it over, leave it in Compound or one of these protocols, and just wait and see what happens. Pay attention to it. If nothing else, it's going to be an important story. I just want to say that, you know, as somebody that wants Bitcoin to be currency and believes that Bitcoin is the best currency that we can probably play with right now, especially in the age, in the digital age, this to me is a good sign. You know, if, if Ethereum is going to start denominating their contracts in Bitcoin and taking the systemic risk, uh, go for it, right? Let the users sort of play with that and hopefully they'll educate users properly on that. But yeah, it's the denomination ask, you know, and I think there's been a lot of debate about sort of the maxi versus maximalist versus shit coins and stuff. I think the critical critique that 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 bitcoiners have against altcoins is the fact that they're trying to create a new unit of account and they're trying to create with a worse fundamentals and worse distribution right just build on bitcoin and 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 this is a kind of you know building with bitcoin so i think that's great that's really great news 
Yeah, I mean, ETH has to remain the base layer, obviously, and it has to be the securing asset, which is what makes this whole thing very interesting, you know, where you have ETH securing the Ethereum network and then this growing amount of Bitcoin that's being traded on top of that. So that's where it gets kind of Is it fully collateralized? Like it's fully collateralized Bitcoin? Uh, these with new Bit versions are. TBTC floating. TBTC, right? REN mm -hmm. BTC, um, mm -hmm. PBTC, these new versions of BT, and even wrapped Bitcoin is fully collateralized, right. by, uh, but it's custodial with BitGo. Right. These new versions are, are aiming towards trustlessness. So you can still find centralized sure. aspects if you dig deep enough, but they're closer. Okay. Mm -hmm. And eventually we're going to get completely trustless. And mm -hmm. then we're going to have this fluid sort of back and forth and yeah. it's going to be programmatic and you won't even know it's happening. Yeah. And 10 years from now, we're going to start laughing that we went through so much trouble trying to get mm -hmm. cross chain because it's going to be so fluid mm -hmm. uh, that it won't even matter. The big question is that ETH, right? And a lot of people think, okay, ETH just needs to, it will organically rise in value to secure the level of Bitcoin that is brought over. So there's a, it's a big question because if the amount of Bitcoin exceeds what it's got underlying it, then you got problems, right? Mm. Especially if you can programmatically redeem your token back for Bitcoin. Mm. A lot of questions, but that's why I'm saying keep an eye on it. It's going to be a big story this year. All right, man. All right. Golden age, man. So many cool things going on in this space. Yeah, 10 years is going to be a lot different, but this 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 10 this decade is going to be the golden age. It's going to be great. Compete, don't complain. Keep on being creative, people. All right. That is the end of the show. It was a very good show today, guys. Wow. I'm Adam Meister. Thank you, guest. The Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Remember, subscribe to this channel. Like this video, share this video, check out the links below. Also remember, yeah, at the end of the month, Bitcoin 2020 in San Francisco. If you're going to be in San Francisco, contact me. Dude, this bet, this event better keep on. It's going to happen. I'm not afraid to meet people in person in San Francisco to talk Bitcoin, Bitcoin 2020. At the, I should have mentioned that at the, at the beginning of the show when people were asking, are you going to travel soon still? Yeah, of course. I'm traveling for Bitcoin San Francisco. But who knows? Who knows, guys? Uh May may this sickness go away soon and everybody get back to normal. Yeah. But uh, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Have a great time today. And pound the like button. And we do this show every Friday. Be back next week. I do a new show here every day. So it's tomorrow's the Beyond Bitcoin show. Again, this was, a, this was a great show. Really, really good combo of people. You don't hear this stuff. Best guest in the space. Guys, we will see you soon. Uh, thank you. Bye-bye. Good night. Awesome. Have a good day. Yeah.